a Bible with you today. If you'll go with me to Proverbs, the sixth chapter. Have we been learning anything the past couple of sessions? Paul said, do not be ignorant of Satan's devices. NFL teams and NBA teams, before they will meet one another on the basketball court and the football field, they will spend hours watching video of scrimmages of, of particular plays, and they will try to the best of their ability to find the weakness of their opponent, to find the strength of their opponent, the weakness of their opponent, and we are much the same. We are at war. There is a battle raging. We're warriors. We've been fighting since the garden, and this battle will end in heaven when we lay down our sword and the lion lays down for the lamb. We will come to closure of that battle, but it will not be until the second coming of the Lord that we will cease to fight. And even in that scrimmage, the word says that the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints riding on white horses with a sword in their hand and will defeat the armies of the Antichrist. So a lot of everything that we're involved in is about a struggle. There is a struggle. The Bible says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. We know that there are three heavens. The first heaven begins at sea level and ends somewhere around 20,000 feet above sea level. That's the heaven that you and I can survive in. We can breathe, we can stay warm, and we can survive. Once you get over 22,000 feet above sea level, the reason Mount Everest was so hard to conquer is that the air there was too thin to breathe and the weather was too severe to survive. So somewhere around 25,000 feet, the second heaven begins, and it goes to the foot of God's heaven, the third heaven. We know that in the second heaven, there are principalities, there are powers, there are rulers of the darkness of this world, there is spiritual wickedness in the heavenly. There are actually territorial, generational, familiar, and unclean spirits, four types of spirits that try to attack the things of God, the people of God. Satan can only attack you three ways. He can accuse you, tempt you, and deceive you. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. A lot of times, the enemy does not know what we're struggling with until we talk to an unbeliever or a non-believer and tell them where we're having struggles. I believe it's very important that you're very careful who you unload on, who you have pray with you or pray for you. I believe those prayers are protected. I believe there is a hedge. Every time an angel presented itself to any part of mankind from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the angel always said, Fear not, because angels are probably scary. They're probably intimidating. They're, prob they're probably overwhelming. But if you could open your eyes today and you could see the spiritual warfare that's been taking place since the destruction of the world through the Ice Age, where demonic entities and, 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 and the Bible talks about heavenly messengers, there is a ladder that leads from Israel to heaven where angels come up, angels descend. They come with God's promises, God's provisions. But I believe that they are at war right now protecting the four walls of this church so that no enemy can get in, hurt you, hinder you, tempt you, frustrate you, discourage you. The Word says in the very last days, the number one attack of the enemy will be to wear out the saints of the Most High. Mental illness, depression is the number one problem in America today. It's the most treated. It's the most common. It is what the enemy is trying to use to destroy your mind. He would do, the battle is in the mind. It's a battle of the mind. But aren't you glad the word says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. My thought or theme this morning, and we welcome our Facebook podcast uh, congregation. They want to let you know if there's a prayer request or something that you need from Church of the Harvest, if you will 
personally messaged me. I've been getting many personal messages throughout the week, through the month, through the year, and I will respond. But we welcome them that they will be tuned. I had a text this morning at 10 o'clock. What time is the podcast? I said we try to get it before 2. I know I'm putting Austin on the spot, but Austin always seems to make it happen. We're talking about this spiritual battle that we are a part of, that we are involved in. And last week we learned the three things that we can use to overcome the attack of the enemy. Number one, your testimony is powerful. Three times the Apostle Paul shared his testimony, how he tried to attack the church. He saw light. He was blinded. He saw God, heard God, talked to God, and turned his life around. He talks about being a sinner. He said, I, I sin more than you all. Three times his testimony brought clarity and brought victory to those that were listening. I believe your testimony has the ability to touch somebody that's where you were and they need to get to where you're at and they hear what you have to say. I know if you go to AA, everybody stands up and shares their name, how long they've been clean, and that gives encouragement to someone else. When I tell you I've been clean 35 years from one of the most addictive drugs, and it was crack cocaine that I was shooting between my toes because I didn't want anybody to see the tracks on my arms, that God miraculously delivered me with, with um, no withdrawals, no, n- none of that. I went to work the very next day. I got delivered Sunday night. I went Monday morning, took a skill saw, a 28-ounce hammer, and started framing and started working for a living again as I had been in such a stupor of the drugs that I had not slept for 10 days. The drugs had wrecked my life, wrecked my marriage, wrecked everything. But God restored that, healed our marriage. And uh, I'm not quoting, I'm, I'll quote them directly. Marcus and Joni said our testimony is the greatest testimony of reconciliation they've ever had on Daystar. Our testimony helps marriages that are struggling. Our testimony helps those that are, are on drugs trying to get off. And our, message, our testimony helps those that are divorced and are probably not going to get restored but find out there's still a purpose and a plan for their life. God's not done with them. God does not throw people away. The church throws people away. God does not throw people away. There was a window when the church was very anti-divorce. You didn't fit in. There was no place for you. There was no part for you. But as we begin to learn today, things that God hates and things that God loves, my title this morning will be Love What God Loves and hate what God hates. Love what God loves and hate what God hates. First of all, I would like to, if it'd be okay, i just like to start off with the things that God loves. If you find out what God loves and you love the things that God loves, he anoints, he provides, he will bless you. I have learned that there are seven things that God loves. The first thing that God loves is the widow. God loves the widow. The Bible says true religion, and we certainly want to be involved in truth and true religion, not a false or personified, but a true religion is that we take care of the widows and the orphans. So God loves the widow. God loves the orphan. In Matthew 28, you will learn that God loves the hungry, God loves the naked, and God loves those in prison. And as you look at John 3, 16, you learn that God loves the sinner and God loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. God loves, are you ready? The widow, the orphan, the hungry, the naked, those in prison. God loves the sinner, and God loves the world. Those are the seven things that God loves. If you go with me to Proverbs, the sixth chapter, and beginning in the 16th verse, these are six things that God doth hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. It's tough to describe the word abomination without using the word Repulsive. The word abomination means repulsive. If you can think of the most repulsive thing that you could mentally conjure up, that's an abomination to the Lord. And those seven things that God hates are 
a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. I made just a few notes here. The first thing that God hates is pride. Another definition of that word pride is arrogance, haughtiness. There's a story in the Bible where the Pharisee went to church and he began to pray. And he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that sinner. Do you remember that story? That's arrogance. There's a story where Herod became so puffed up because he thought he was so beautiful and wonderful. And the Bible says that as the people were worshiping him, that God struck him down and he died with worms right there on the spot. We look at Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and, and Darius. All three of those were so haughty, they built images of themselves, as did the pharaohs of Egypt. They operated in so much pride that they, they thought they were gods. But God said, I will cast you down and you will not live forever. The second thing that God hates is a lying tongue. The Bible says that Satan is the father of all liars. He is the one that has birthed that. He's the one that manifested that. And God hates someone that will not tell the truth. And most of us like to be told the truth. Most of us, we, we may embellish from time to time. Hello. Right. Is there anybody out there? Right. Is there anybody out there? So at times that we will embellish from time to time. But the Bible says that, that Satan is the father of all those things. And God absolutely hates lying. And the Bible is full of people that lie that God had to confront and God had to correct. God hates murder. And when I think about hands that shed innocent blood, listen very carefully what I, what I do not say and listen to what I do say. God does not hate the abortionist, but God hates abortion. God does not hate the murderer, but God hates murder. Yesterday, when the guy went into a frenzy, took a semi-automatic rifle and killed six and wounded six, God hates the murder, but God does not hate the guy that committed the murder. So you make, make sure you're hearing what I say. I believe that God hates abortion. I don't know how many millions of babies are aborted every year, but I do know that God hates it. I believe all aborted babies go to heaven, and I believe heaven's full of mothers that are there taking care of all those babies. It's just my personal opinion. God hates a heart that will plot evil, someone that will go out of their way to try to set someone up, burn someone, rob someone, rip someone off. God hates that device. God hates a person that is eager to do wrong, a person that, 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 that loves to walk in, Samuel said, rebellion and stubbornness. Rebellion is as witchcraft and, rebellion and stubbornness is as idolatry. God hates those that, that purpose and plan in their heart and their spirit to try to do wrong, how, however that might be. The sixth thing that God hates, he hates a person to go to court and under oath lie. He hates that. He hates a false witness. And the seventh thing that's an abomination to the Lord is a person that would sow discord. Well, how would you sow discord? Well, let's say, let's say hypothetically there's someone here that's had a real rough past, has done some real bad things, but has been to the altar. God has restored them, and now they're living for the Lord. Discord would be for you to go behind that person's back and begin to tell people what that person's history was and what that person's past was. If God does not remember the past, then why should we? If God does not bring up the negative of yesterday, then why should we? And God hates anybody that would try to infiltrate or try to penetrate a church body or a church fellowship and try to bring up things of the past. The Bible says this, love covers 
a multitude of sins. Love does not justify sin. Love does not okay sin. But here's what love does. Love covers a multitude of sins. And if you're in this congregation and you've been in jail, you've been in prison, you've aborted a baby, you've done this, you've done that, the word says old things are passed away. All things are become new. Jesus got real irritated when the woman that washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair and anointed him with her, with her perfume, he got real upset when they began to say, does he not know what kind of woman that is? No, she had been restored. She had been healed. And here's what Jesus says. Tomorrow they'll forget your name, but a hundred years from now they'll still be telling her story. Here we are 2,000 years later. Her name is Mary. We're telling her story. We're talking about her praise. We're talking about her worship. But Jesus got an attitude because they would point their finger at her and say, does he not? Yeah, he knows. He knows exactly what kind of person she was. But he restored her, healed her, and that she was a part of the family of God. And that's the way that God rolls. He hates discourse. So be very, very careful what you repeat. Be very, very careful what you say. One woman called another and said, hey, you need to listen very carefully. I can only tell this once. I promise not to repeat it. <laughs> what if the podcast congregation got it? Uh, a little bit of humor that uh, Brother Keith shared with me today. A woman went to the emergency room, horrific burns on both of her ears, both of her ears, and went to the emergency room, and the doctor did an examination, and the doctor said, you know what? I've been practicing medicine for 20 years. I've never seen anybody get burned in this particular type of scenario. What happened? She said, well, I was ironing, and the phone rang. He said, well, that explains one of the ears. What, what happened to the other? He said, well, that idiot called back. If you're blonde and didn't get it, I'm sure brunette will make sure and go out of the way to try to make sure that you understand that. Two things that, two things that you need to know that's been set into order in the past 4,000 years, when, when the people of God decided they wanted to be like everybody else. I love seeker-friendly churches. We have, we have dear friends that pastor seeker-friendly churches. But let us ever be careful for trying to become like the world. Let us make sure that we, we, we make sure that there's a difference, there's something different about how we pursue. Let us never want to be like everybody else. The people of God who had God to lead them and direct them and bless them decided that God wasn't good enough and they wanted to be like everybody else and they wanted a king. So they went to Samuel and Samuel, ironically, like Eli, had sons that were out of order. How, how ironic. The, 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 the preacher's kids in both of those settings uh, were, were godless. They weren't doing the right thing. And the people went to Samuel and confronted him and said, you're getting old. You're about to die. And your sons, are, they're, they're lawless, they're godless. We want a king like everybody else. And the Bible says that God selected Saul, and Saul was small in his own eyes. Matter of fact, Saul was hiding among the stuff. The Bible says stuff because he didn't want to be singled out. He didn't want to be pointed out. But he was called to be the king of Israel. And as he begins to be the king of Israel, he gets puffed up. In all, of his, in all of his fame and all of his fortune and all of the, all the things that the people were saying and doing and his heart filled with pride and he purposely ignored a commandment of God and the man of God confronted Saul. And Saul had some kind of flimsy excuse why, why he disobeyed God, but there's a reason why God sets order to your life. There's a reason why God says, I don't want you hanging around this one. There's why God doesn't want you reading this book. God doesn't want you watching this movie. If you'll watch this, this king... His name was Agag, 
and from the Agag comes the Agiites, and from the Agiites, when, when Esther was trying to be the queen over Israel, there was a guy by the name of Haman, and guess where he was from? Agag, the very nation that God was trying to destroy. See, God will allow things to happen now that will make sure that you're not messed up generations from now. You see that? God will warn of you things now that if you'll follow them and honor them, your kids won't fall that way. Your grandkids won't fall that way. There's a reason why he does what he does. But when we, when we choose to disobey God and go in, in direct contrary of God, here's what God says. Stubbornness, and how many has related to somebody stubborn in their life? A stubborn person reminds me of a lizard. I don't know if you've ever picked up a lizard, but they always tweak their neck. Have you ever seen that? This lizard, uh, I, I know there's been times when my dad would grab me by the back of the neck, and I always, I don't know if it's called scrunching or whatever you call it, but I didn't like that. How many likes to be somebody, anybody like that? I mean, it's irritating, it's frustrating, but God said that stubbornness is as idolatry, which means a worship of something more important than God. Your mindset, your views, your opinions are more important than the instruction of God. Rebellion, ironically, how many can relate to somebody in complete rebellion? Complete, they won't go the speed limit. They don't take one every four. They take four every one. They're contrary. They touch wet paint. They walk on the grass. They're just, they're just set like that. And God said that rebellion is as witchcraft, which isn't necessarily a, a false religion, but the word witchcraft means pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy, and that's why I believe our nation is in trouble. Just for the fun of it, mentally, I counted how many pharmacies there are right now in Cleveland. There are 14. I may have missed one. I may not have missed one. We used to have a young lady that went to our church that she assisted a pharmacist. And I asked her how many opiates, which is hydro, oxy, percocet, uh, Valium, uh, uh, Demerol, uh, fentanyl, propopol, um, codeine, morphine, anything that comes from the opiate. How many opiates does your pharmacy fill a day? She said 200. That's one pharmacy in Cleveland. If one pharmacy fills 200 opiates a day, how many opiates does 14 pharmacies fill a day? No wonder it's scary out there. No wonder people are rear-ending one another, running one off the road, falling. Hello, I have a friend in the place. We are in a dangerous place right now with medication. And how ironic, less than 200 yards from here, they're building a pharmaceutical warehouse that they're going to store up thousands of drugs and send them out to different hospitals. And I'm, I don't know if that's a direct slap in the face, if the, the, the devil's trying to slap us in the face, or that's just to, to alert us to be even more focused and even more praying because there is a way to stay clean, get clean, stay clean, and help others get clean. Let me tell you something. When you start, when you start tasting things of God, you don't want the things of alcohol anymore. You start taking, taking things of God, you don't want the things of drugs anymore. You don't want the things of sex. You want what God has for you. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good and he has the ability to touch that appetite. We'll talk about appetite in just a minute. So as we, look at these, as we look at these seven things, we realize all seven of these came from the I wills of Satan. I'll touch on them in a moment. But if you'll go with me to 1 John 2, verse 15, I really want to, there's just something about you finding it in Scripture. 1 John is right in, in front of 2 John all the way to the back before the book of Revelation. First and second, third John, Jude, Revelation, first John 2. Let me bring attention, if I may, to the, to, to the verse 15. First John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And here, 
We're not talking about stuff. We're not talking about cars. We're not talking about watches. We're not talking about shirts or dresses. We're talking about a mindset. Love not the world and the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all, look at somebody and say all. All, according to Webster's Dictionary, means everything. For all in the world is three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life will destroy you. But the Bible says if you'll focus on the things of God, you will survive and you will live forever. It was the lust of the flesh when, when Eve saw Satan part participating of the fruit and that hurt him and she wanted part of that. It was a lust of the eyes. The Bible says she saw that it was good and then she tasted it. The pride of life, the pride of life, the lust of the world, the lust of the flesh, all those things were in the garden. And what you've got to remember that in the garden, Satan represents or presents himself as a garden snake. We learned last week that Satan feeds on what? Anybody remember? Our flesh. Satan flee, feeds on our flesh. When you're walking things of God, generating the things of God, hopefully you're not giving Satan anything to feed on. But can I tell you the seven courses that Satan eats? Are you ready? The first course is pride. He loves to feed on pride. The second course is envy. He loves for you to be envious of your neighbor's wife or car or lawn or dirt bike or whatever. Wrath, the, the enemy feeds on it. He loves it when people are angry, get in fights, shout, scream, cuss, get in trouble. Sloth, the laziness, the, the, the enemy feeds on that. Greed, the enemy feeds on greed. The sixth thing is gluttony, and the seventh thing is lust. How many remembers the seven deadly sins? I don't know if you've ever, well, there they are right there. If you want to write them down, pride, envy, wrath, sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. We look at the word gluttony. As it was in the days of Noah, they were eating and they were drinking. Food had become their God. I have people in my life, they live to eat. If you're around me, I eat once a day. I eat to live. I hope I try to eat right. I try to do the right thing. I ho hope I don't get too overwhelmed on turtle cake or honey buns or homemade ice cream. Hopefully, I'm, I am not a glutton. But the Bible says, if you love food more than you love God, it's a sin. How scary is that? When we look at that, when we get that, that, that they, they were eating and they were drinking, of course, obviously, they weren't drinking Dr. Pepper. They weren't drinking Red Bull. They weren't drinking um, Gatorade. They were drinking alcohol. So the word says, when you see a generation that all it wants to do is eat and drink, you're in trouble. The other night we went to, um, uh, it doesn't matter what restaurant we went to, but we had to park at the very farthest parking lot in the very last slot. Pastor Ronna parked at the very last, and I was right real close to her. It wasn't because there were so many there getting food. The bar was full. The bar was full. So their, their desire on a Friday night is to get drunk, eat food, have fun, do whatever they want to do. You know what? There's, not, there's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. I, I mean, uh, Dr. Pepper with your meal, I, I don't think God has a problem with that. But when you live for that, when that becomes your God, that becomes your priority, I remember Friday, we couldn't wait to get paid so we could buy an ounce of marijuana and a case of Budweiser. Do I have a friend in the building? That seemed to be our goals is to get a good enough check to be able to party effectively Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Most of us were broke. Hello. 
Most of us were broke because that was our God. That was our, and God said there's more important things in life. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and things will be added unto you. As we begin to talk about the seven deadly things, I want to bring attention, if I can, to um, Job 1. You may get, you may get tired of hearing me always say this, but there are some powerful truths in the book of Job. And as we believe, scholars believe, I'm not a scholar, I'm simply a student, but scholars believe that when Moses got angry and killed the Egyptian soldier at 40 years of age, the Bible says he fled and went into hiding for 40 years. Most Bible scholars believe that in that 40-year window of hiding from Egypt, Moses met Job. And when Job began to share his testimony, how cool is that, with Moses, Moses recorded it. Uh, what word am I looking for, Pastor Rhonda, when you're looking at the... Um, alphabetical, chronological Bible. If you will open a chronological Bible, you will find that Job is the first chapter of the Bible, and then there's a few passages, there's a few passages in Psalms that were probably written before Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But understand, Job did not have a Bible. He didn't have Hillsong. He didn't have Kirk Franklin. He didn't have a pastor. He didn't have Christian television. He didn't have any devotions. He didn't have Beth Moore. He didn't have Joyce Meyer. He didn't have Benny Hinn. He had none of that. He had absolutely none of that. Yet somehow Job, and I just saw this this morning. I had not seen this earlier. But somehow Job, through creation, through observing the moth, through observing the eagle, the hawk, the hippopotamus of all things, the wild goat, the horse, and the crocodile, by examining nature, Job came to the conclusion that the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. By observing all that, Job realized, naked I came into this world, and naked I shall leave. Looking at nature, Job said, though skin worms, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and though skin worms destroy my flesh, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job somehow knew there was going to be a resurrection knew there was going to be a redemption, and knew that he would live forever. And that was without a Bible. That was without Deuteronomy 28, the promises of the covenant. That was without any type of Holy Spirit, any type of, any type of translation. He, did, he didn't have anybody in his life. But through worship every day, the Bible says that Job brought to God a, a worship. He worshiped every single day. And in his worship, God began to reveal himself to Job. Job gets the favor of God. He's blessed. He's highly favored. He has 10 children. He has all kinds of stuff. And there is a meeting in Job, the first chapter. Obviously, there's a place. It's not, it's not on earth. It's not in heaven. I do not believe that once Satan was cast from heaven, I don't believe he was ever allowed to enter because the Bible says that heaven is pure as snow and that no sin or uncleanness can enter there. So once Satan was cast from heaven, he had no ability to go back to the literal throne of God. But there was a place where the sons of God, which we know to be angels, met with God. And apparently at one of these places, and if you'll see kind of in your mind, like there's probably obviously 
a stronghold directly over Las Vegas. There's a stronghold directly over San Francisco. There's probably a stronghold directly over Hollywood. We know that there's a stronghold somewhere over Persia. These are the places where it seems like sin doth abound. And these are, these are places, Hollywood, obviously, the place that it would birth unclean movies, San Francisco. You know the, the, the future, the, the, the history there, Las Vegas, the gambling, all of the, all of the things lost, all of the, all the things stolen. But there are strongholds around the earth. There's probably a stronghold in Yemen. There's probably a stronghold in Afghanistan. But there are places, there are ports. I don't want to freak you out, but there is a ladder. There is a, there's a place that you can leave earth and go into the second heavenly. Jacob saw it when, when he woke up from, from where he was sleeping and saw that. So there's a place somewhere that God meets principalities, and I believe they are God, I believe they're ministering spirits that God meets, and they give him testimony as to what's going on. I would like to think that a little later today that these angels met with God and said, hey, we were at harvest, we felt welcome, we felt good, your name was proclaimed, and we left some miracles. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be cool if God does that? So somewhere God meets these, these angels, and Satan shows up. Being the prince of the power of the air, he shows up. And as he shows up, God begins to question Satan about Job. You all know the story. He lost everything, got a horrible sickness, three friends, actually four friends. They came and sat at a distance for seven days before they said a word. They saw his horror. He's buried ten children. He lost everything he owned except for, and I've shared this earlier, he lost everything except for four servants and a wife. And there's what you can do with four servants and a wife. If two or three agree in my name, Anyway, that's a whole nother thought. So Job goes through all of this storm, all this tragedy. These guys try to tell him what's going on. And then all of a sudden, God begins to question Job. And if you'll go with me to Job 41. And I want to set you up, if I may. We're coming to the, the conclusion. Look at somebody say, the conclusion of a bad season. See, it's important to know the season. In Proverbs 6, it talks to the sluggard, the lazy, the guy that says, I'm not going to go to work. I'm not going to do a thing. God says, examine the ant, that without a leader, they gather their food in the summer for the winter. Even the ants discern the seasons and the times and the things that are going on. So all, all of a sudden, God begins to reiterate some things to Job, and God begins to talk about rain. God begins to talk about lightning. God begins to talk about the sun. God begins to give Job a, 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 his, a history lesson about nature, and he starts off with the cosmos. He starts off with the heavenlies, the stars, all, all the things. He's asking Job, was you there when I stretched the line? Was you there when the sons of God shouted together and the morning stars sang for joy? Was you there? Then God begins to talk about, of all things, a goat. He begins to talk about a wild goat. Then he begins to talk about an, a hawk. Then he begins to talk about an eagle. And he begins to remind Job of all these things that Job has averred. Then he begins to talk about, of all things, a hippopotamus. God begins to give a history lesson with this hippopotamus. And then in Job 40, God begins to reveal to Job the nature of his trouble, the nature of his battle. Listen, Job did not know that there was a Lucifer cast out of heaven. Job did not know that there was a Satan accuser of the brethren. Job did not know that, that God had bragged on him and Satan said, I'll bring him down. You give me a little room, I'll bring him down. Job did not know that all this was a storm, all this was a trial, all this was a battle. 
Job didn't, all, that, all that Job knew that he lost everything he had, but he wasn't going to curse God. He was going to stand and he was going to support God and love God and worship God. So God begins to talk, about, talk to Job. And I'm going to read, um, I think just for the fun of it, I think I'll, I'll read in the, in the Living Bible, maybe a little clarity. and I'll go back to the King James in just a moment. But notice, if you will, in, in verse 1. Can you catch a crocodile with a hook and line or put a noose around his tongue? Or can you tie him with a rope through the nose or pierce his jaw with a spike? Will he beg you to detest, desist, or try to flatter you for your attentions? Will he agree to let him make you your slave for life? Can you make a pet of him like a bird or give him to your little girls to play with? Do fishing partners sell him the fishmongers? Will his hide be hurt by darts or his head with a harpoon? If you lay hands upon him, you will long remember the battle that ensues, and you will never try it again. Very quickly, if you will, go with me before I go any further. I want to, I want to, I want to make a point here. I want you to go to Job 41, the very last verse, verse 34. You ready? He beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. All of a sudden, God does what we call a transition. God is obviously doing an analogy of this creature of nature. And then God does a transition and God introduces Job to Satan. And he says, Job, can you make Satan your pet? Will you let Satan play with your little girls? Will Satan begin to negotiate with you and speak things? Let's, let's, let's look at it. If you lay hands upon him, you will long remember the battle that ensues, and you will never try it again. Can anybody relate? Has anybody ever tried to take the devil on without God's help? If you look at Samson, if you look at if you look at some of the greatest of God's heroes that got in a confrontation with Satan without God and they lost. Samson lost everything. You begin to go through the, the word of God and see those that tried to do it Elvis's way. They tried to do it my way. They lost. They could not stand against this opponent. They could not stand against this fierce. It's useless to try to capture him. It's frightening to even think about it. No one dare stir him up, let alone try to conquer him. And if no one can stand before him, who can stand before me? I owe no man everything. Everything under the heaven is mine. Here God interjects and says, Job, this is an evil, vile creature that wants to destroy, but he has no place in me. I'm over everything. He has to submit to me. Aren't you glad that God has the ability to bind the enemy and contain the enemy that he cannot come any further than God allows him to. He can't touch what is precious to you, what you love, if you're under the secret place of the Most High. Do I have a friend in the building anywhere? He goes on to talk about his hide, and I want to I I blow through this real quick and go to my last page. Here I am. Last page. John 10 and 10. Jesus introduces a passage of Scripture that most of us can quote from memory. The thief comes not, but for to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. There's the three attributes he operates in. Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In Isaiah 14, as God begins to confront Lucifer, God confronts Lucifer and judges him because Lucifer makes, are you ready for this? Five statements. I want, to, I want to read these statements to you. 
And then I want you to tell me what is dominant, what is obvious in all five of these statements. Are you ready? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the throne of God. I will sit on the mount of congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. In those five statements that Lucifer made, what, what jumps out, what leaps out at you? I, what is it? I. Everybody say I. If you go with me to Romans, verse 7, I'm going to show you what happens every time I gets in the way. Do I have a friend in the house? There's a possibility. Oh, here it is. When God gives you stuff at the last minute, you never know what he's up to. But let's see, let's see what he's up to. Notice verse 7, and let's count together how many times, if you're, if you're not reading from the New King James, you can't play this game with me. But if you're spiritual and ordained and obeying God, you'll have the King James Bible in your lap. And you'll look at verse 7, Paul speaking. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbidden. Nay, I, everybody say I, I. one, had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. By sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concubines, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without sin in the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. The commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taken occasion by commandment deceived me, and by it it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, the commandment holy, just, and pure. Was then that which is good made death unto, 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 unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know, watch this, that law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin, for that which I do not, I allow not, for I would, that would, do I not, but what I hate, then do I, then I do that which I would not, I consent in the law that is good, now that is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Did anybody get confused? How many times do we use the word I? We use the word me four times. So 16 and 4. Anytime it's about you, it's going to be confusing. Anytime it's about you, it's going to be frustrating. Anytime you can convert to be about God, it's going to be blessed going in and blessed going out. And all things possible by the kingdom and the power of God. In another passage of scripture, here's what Paul says. But thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we live a victorious life? Absolutely. Can we, can we kill demons? And Absolutely. Can we be more than conquerors? Absolutely. But let me tell you, from the rising of the sun to the going of down, it's a battle, it's a struggle, and all the devil, and, and the devil is overwhelmed by gluttony. All he wants to do is eat, and he wants to eat the seven things that we talked about. But watch this with me, if you will. Notice how he has a tendency to grow on the things that we feed him. 
I have a saltwater aquarium. In that saltwater aquarium, I have a small one at the house. There's a large one at the church. What is so ironic, in the smaller one at the house, the fish don't get that big. But in the larger one at the church, the fish get a little bit, little bit bigger because they have more territory. The more territory you turn over to the devil, the more advantage he's going to take, take from you. Do you have a friend in the building? As the devil begins to feed through all of the sins of the Israelites, all the sins of the Egyptians, all the sins of the Syrians, all the sins of the Moabites, Ammonites, and all those eyes, Canaanites, Perizzites, Philistines, all of those, as it begins to feed, in Genesis 3, he's a garden snake. Yesterday, on the way to the ranch, there was a snake crossing the road. I didn't stop to talk to it. I didn't stop to see what kind of snake it was. I proceeded to run over it. I backed over it three times. I think even Keith... I think Keith ran over time or two. I'm not sure. But we put that snake where snakes need to go. He starts off in the, in the, in the Garden of Eden as a, say it, garden snake. garden snake. In Revelation 12, he's called the great roaring dragon. Feeding on the sins of the world, the pride of life, the pride of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. But there's a day coming when de the devil will feed no more because he's going to fall for a thousand years into a bottomless pit. What's he doing? Well, he's falling. It's a bottomless pit. Hello. For a thousand years, he will fall and we will rule and reign upon this earth and there will be peace and the lion will lay down with the lamb and we will study war no more. But lo and behold, he will be released and manage to raise up an army that would dare challenge the army of God. And on that day, look at someone saying on that day, on that day, we will put him away forever and he will go to the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone for all of eternity. So again, in, in, in closing, when the devil tries to remind you of your past, just remind him of the future. You're going to burn, baby. You're going to burn. Johnny Cash said it so well. I fell into a burning ring of fire. Down, 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 the flames cut fire, the ring of fire. I never knew he was singing about hell. I thought it was a bad marriage. But, <laughs> but, but there you have it. I hope today. Let's, let's have a quick word of prayer. Quick, quick, quick word of prayer. Build a hedge around us. We have no desire to read the Satanic Bible. We have no desire to study the occult. We have no desire to study tarot cards, Ouija boards, astrology. We have, no, we have no desire to do any of that. But you told us to be wise to the devil's devices. Yes. He comes in like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But greater is, us, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Let our hearts be open. Let our eyes be open. Let us see how the enemy tries to set up ambushment. And let us, let us avoid. If we learned from it yesterday, let us apply that tomorrow. Let us not fall in the same trap we fell in yesterday. Let us learn from our mistakes. Let us learn from these, these battles that we're in. And let us one day lay our crown down at the feet of Jesus Christ and declaring him King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to teach you uh, next Sunday. And I, I believe we will go that direction. Next Sunday, I will, I'm going to pull out of my library so that you might see I have anywhere from 18 to 30 books that teach about the attacks of the enemy, the how to overcome the enemy, the things that we can do to overcome the enemy. So these teaching series are not coming from just something that I did as an evangelist, but this is coming from hours and hours of study and preparation. And the, and the blessing is I'm doing this studying and preparation for you so you don't have to study in that area, but you can study in what's or things are pure and lovely and just and pure. You can study in those things. Is that okay?
if we did that. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to talk about how to Satan-proof your life. How to Satan-proof your life. Is there a way to find yourself void of mold and rust? I believe there is. I believe there is. And we'll talk about the treasures of the heart. And we'll talk about how we can get some of this stuff around us. I'm going to do, if the Lord will allow me, I'm going to do a very in-depth study on the armor of God. Why our loins are covered. Why our chest is covered. Why our head. Why our feet. And why the only weapon we've got in the sword of the Spirit is the power of prayer. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. So bring somebody that needs to hear somehow to get out of the pit they're in and hopefully not fall in it again. You, you mow the lawn so many times and you, that same cowdy hole that was there the last time you mowed is probably going to still be there unless you filled it in. Take the mower around the cowdy hole. Don't run in the cowdy hole and have to get the suburban and drag your mower out of the cowdy hole because it's embarrassing because people drive by and watch and look going to give you a chance to sow an offering this morning in the kingdom of God. And we thank you for your faithfulness. Our electric company, I will say, has allowed us to break up our electric bill. And um, 